0: Divorce, custody, paternity, alimony, these are all emotionally charged and complicated concepts that arise in family law, which is the subject of today's show, part three of three episodes.
1: Welcome to the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Barry Rosenzweig has been an attorney for over 25 years and is nationally known as a visionary in his profession. In each episode, attorney Barry Rosenzweig interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. So get ready for an educational and exciting episode. Now, here's your host, Barry Rosenzweig.
0: We're in the studio today with Joe Vicciolo, and we're going to be talking about family law. What do you like about family law? Why, Why do you like being a family law attorney?
2: Uh, it's never ever dull, ever ever. <laughs> right? It, there's yeah. always it's so interesting. And sometimes stories, or in cases, things happen. You think, if I wrote a book and put this, nobody would believe it. Yeah. What I like about family law is I like, um, and this sounds kind of hokey, but it, there is such a sense of satisfaction when you see your client coming in at the beginning and they're in trauma and grief and you know sadness and fearful, and you walk them through the process. Um, and at the end you, you can see a different person. Like I think of a case, I had a woman and this was, uh, this case went to trial at least, at least 10 or 12 years ago. And she was this meek, meek little person. And her husband was so just a jerk. And, and so I'll use the vernacular. So, um, so. She she was just beside herself. And so we went walk through the whole process. And at the end, it was like she was a different person. She wasn't living with that demeaning person anymore. She knew that financially, um, you know, fortunately, they had enough money that she would get a, a decent settlement. And just to see the the relief, so I really like helping people um, kind of walk through that process, and to know this is a trauma in your life. Um, we'll walk through it together, but you're going to be okay in the end, right? Doesn't mean there's not grief and and sadness and anger and you know that right, sort of thing, but right. but it's it's really it's it's I like to see it from beginning to end, right? How the process gets taken out. Plus the interesting, you know, all this stuff.
0: <laughs> the is there stuff. is there um. Either you recommend or a judge will recommend it or mandate it that they have to have either family counseling or marital counseling to try to reconcile, or some people just want to reconcile and try marriage counseling in the meantime.
2: Right. Judges don't order, and I don't think they have the authority to order marriage counseling, but they can order parties into anger management. Um, They can order them into therapy for themselves. They can order the kids to go to therapy. They can order a chemical health assessment if there are concerns about chemical dependency. Um, so the court has authority to do those type of things. Um, they can they can order family counseling to say, you know, the, the communication dynamics are so poor, we want you to go. You know, so they can do those type of things.
0: Do sometimes people on their own decide, you know what, this is... We want, we we're gonna to try to reconcile and let's yep. go through counseling and see what yep. we can do and yep. sometimes that works. Yeah,
2: sometimes it does. Okay. Yeah. And and then they might come back with a postnup, right? You know, just yeah. to see, right? Yeah. But yeah, that, that's not I think I have a couple of cases on an active status right now, meaning they're trying to figure out do we wanna you know, we started this process, we see what it might look like for us. Uh, we're having second thoughts here, you know. What
0: about grandparents' rights?
2: So there's a statute regarding grandparents' rights, and it's just really specific. Um, you see it if grandparents, um, You, I'll tell you what I see typically. If grandparents want to have some type of um, visitation, because it's not really parenting time, with the grandkids, most judges will say you need to do that during your child's parenting time. So if it's dad's parents and they want to see the kid, the judge will say, okay, then when dad has his parenting time, you have to do that. Um, but sometimes in cases, um, a court will order. I had a case, and um, it went to trial with a with a, the grandma, and she had spent, the kid had lived with her. The kid was eight and previously had lived with her for a period of time, and so that grandmother sought Parenting time, aside from mom and aside from dad, and the judge did grant her um, one weekend a month that she had parenting time. But it's not; um, it's often difficult for grandparents because they want to see their grandkids. And then, um, if there's a, if it's really tense between the parents, one parent might say, "Well, you're not seeing the grandkids." We see that on a fairly regular basis, where um, you know, to kind of punish dad, they're not going to let grandma and grandpa see the kid.
0: Um, what is your thoughts and opinions and on the? Uh the biggest divorce of all time coming up here with Jeff Bezos and his wife, with Amazon. Can you even imagine,
2: (laughs) right? You think there'd be confidential, you know, so we oftentimes, if they're, for financial, we'll do what's called a protective order, uh, meaning that um, nobody gets to see these documents. Um, You know, like I had a case where um, the husband had a a ownership in a significant Minnesota business, right? And uh, divorce records are public information, you know, so I don't think
0: most people yeah, realize it. Right. So or go down they, to your local courthouse yeah. and look up <laughs> or, your neighbor. Or they yeah. or um I don't think are those granted very
2: So, well, if you agree to it, so like in that case, the two attorneys and the two parties stipulated to a protective order saying that all financial information, because we needed to determine what's the marital value of the business, right? Because it was an asset husband was going to receive, so wife needed to have an offset for another marital. But they didn't want their documents, and wife agreed. She didn't want everything all over, Um, so we signed a protective order, which kept that out of uh, the, you know, the public eye. They, they can't see it and those documents couldn't be released. Some things can be filed confidentially. Um, so that's another way to do that. But I would bet there's going to be all kinds of, you know, <laughs> stipulations related to yeah. settlement and documents and, you know, well, all that kind of stuff.
0: You know, to go on and think about this then about businesses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a lot of spouses own business together. Yes. Sometimes one spouse owns it all together one spouse owns it with a partner right. or two or yep, they, you know what happens in those situations it, I mean and I think with the Amazon situation is a big f- part of the fight if you know is going to be about voting shares
2: right who has control right
0: so how do you, how does that work with businesses right
2: it, well, I haven't ever represented someone who owns an Amazon. <laughs> so, no, no, but, but just any right, kind but, of a business. No, it's really so. Um, when you are a part of a divorce, is assets and liabilities. I think we only got to the first part. The um, Custody and parent time, and then we talked about child support and spousal. But the third part of a divorce is the division of assets and liabilities. So, what you do is you identify every asset. It could be a 401k, it could be a cabin, it could be a boat, it could be a business. And so, what happens is um, we have easy methods for some things to figure out a value of an asset. What's what's your most recent 401k statement? Here's the value. Very easy. How much money do you have in your bank account? That's easy. A little bit more difficult is what's the value of a home? You know, unless the parties agree, then we have appraisals done and say, okay, if there's a dispute about the value of the home. Um, I think at the top of the list are businesses. So I, on a regular basis, hire their uh, business evaluator. Um, there's one in particular that I would like to use in Mendota Heights, and they do a business valuation. They can be pricey, ten to fifteen grand, um, but they go in and they'll take the. Regardless,
0: line. Uh, I mean, if it's a small small business, you're if probably it's a, not going to do no, that. No,
2: if it's a small business, and I've I've also hired this firm to say. Look, this is the nature. If I give you last year's profit and loss, is it worth it to do a business valuation? They'll say no or, you know, that sort of thing. Because a
0: CPA probably could give you some kind of a –
2: Yeah, and the, uh, this fir- firm that I hire, they're all CPAs, right? Okay, and that okay. And their work is um, valuing businesses, and they do some non-marital tracing Um, So what you're looking for in a business valuation is we need to assign a value to this asset, so how do we do that? Some it's not worth the money, some it's zero, like if the person, it's the person, it's the blue sky value, right, right, that... without goodwill the, get, yep same thing right so um you, you just don't really spend a lot of time on it or or all they have is their computer right you know yeah. right yeah, yeah. Um, but then you have you have an engineering firm or i've had medical practices valued or dental practices or you know those type of things and that's when we hire a uh a business evaluator to do the it, business value is the
0: spouse is that just like any other asset for a spouse that yes for yeah. both spouses regardless yeah. if they're an owner of that or not on paper?
2: Right, right, because they have a marital interest in it. Okay. So if it was started, so if you had a business that was started during the marriage and continued through the marriage, part of it is non-marital and part of it is marital. And that business evaluator figures that out. Um, if it was, if there's a partnership and it was started during the marriage, the business, it's all marital, but then what is um, spouse's, what's the value of his or her share? So are they a 50% owner? The The business is worth... You know, 100 grand, 50%, it's $50,000. is, And that 50000 goes on the balance sheet. Um, and then, you know, to figure out. So it's just like any other asset, you just have to assign a value to is it. Is
0: there issues with other partners sometimes?
2: Um, it depends. Usually. Particularly
0: if there's loans. Right. You know.
2: Right. Usually the loans are taken into consideration in figuring out the, the value. Um, most typically, the person who worked in the business is awarded the business right and so sure. there's really they just continue running the business as it was um and um you know going from there but then they have to basically buy out the spouses share of that okay. so okay. if it's not shares like you know we think of but just the marital interest
0: have you uh, had people who you the i mean i'm sure they have but um called i mean a lot of police involvement with domestic abuse right. even Lots if they don't live together right
2: right well we we have cases where um where there is domestic abuse, and that that's a little bit more um sad right because there's there's violence and and you don't want the kids to be involved but i I think there's more crazy behavior like what people will do um to kind of get the other spouse like the you know the 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 behaviors that they'll sabotage their own financial well being right so to get um I have a case where um My client flipped houses, right? That was her job. Okay. Um, And it was time to sell the house, and the divorce had started, and husband, because it was marital, wouldn't sell it.
0: Do you get um, cases that other attorneys have worked on, and they either fire them or – Maybe after the divorce is over to do post decree work I mean do you-
2: right I'll pick up cases where someone else has a, a different attorney, and there there might be there they weren't a good match, so either the client fires the attorney or the attorney withdraws and says "I don't want to work on it so then they have and um, come to another attorney, and that happen. That happens now and again, and I think that that's okay because just because you have your first attorney, you might not be a good match, right? So if right. you need to find someone that you can work well with and, and that you trust, and so on, and sometimes you have a client who just needs more handholding, and uh, his or her first attorney isn't that type of attorney, so they'll just want to find someone who's different. Um, um, and then oftentimes we'll have cases that it's five years after the divorce. And they don't want to go back to their first attorney for whatever reason, so then we'll, we'll pick those cases up. We also will pick up from collaborative cases if there are things that happen post-decree um, If and they want to go to court. They can't go back to their collaborative attorney because the collaborative attorney doesn't go to court. So then we'll get hired to work on those cases right. as okay. well. Okay. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll see that. Um, red flags for me are... Um, you would be attorney number five, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, oh, I think I'll pass. What, you know, what,
0: that that leads me into the question: What kind of clients come in, or potential clients, let's say, cases you won't take based upon what they're telling you or what you perceive?
2: Right, when people are dishonest, or they'll say, you know, like I'll be shocked sometimes. Well, I don't want her to know about that, and I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I've got this hit overseas, yeah, right, or something. yeah, right, exactly. That I'm like, nope, I'm not, I'm not, I'm. You have to be forthright. You have to be honest. You have to have everything disclosed. And if someone smacks that they're not going to do that, they're going to be trouble. Like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, right? I'm not right. going to, you know, trade your professional reputation for someone who's trying to, you know, is got some issues. Domestic abusers, I mean— it depends because I've had clients who've been accused of domestic abuse because the other spouse was trying to get an upper hand in the custody battle. So that's different because they're kind of unjustly accused of domestic abuse. But you know, if there are people who are, um, I think mostly just if they're dishonest. I don't, I don't want to work with people who are dishonest.
0: Are you able to withdraw from a case if you, a, if they're not paying you, and right. b, if you feel that it's not right. ethical for you to keep representing them?
2: Right. So we try in our firm to really work with clients about their bill and know what the expectations are. Um, and at the pretrial, we'll sell, send to a letter to a client saying, look, we're now moving towards trial phase. This is a routine letter, but are you going to make the financial commitment that trial takes? Um, because believe it or not, frequently family law attorneys get stiffed, right? They don't get paid yeah. because yeah. you're, you can't withdraw because you're going to prejudice your client. So we try and put things in place to be just a smart business owner about making sure that, um, funds are secure. And then that gives them the chance to say, um, you know what, this is, I can't afford it. And, and so then we'll withdraw. Um, most people are pretty good about getting things figured out and we do try and work with parties to, cause we know it's expensive. We want to be Can- mindful of that. Um, but if we withdraw, we had a case and i uh, it was with an associate and and the a client was just awful to her she would call her up screaming and swearing at her and i just said withdraw you you have no obligation to continue with a client who is you know being very
0: abusive yes yeah.
2: just withdraw and she felt the associate felt bad i don't you know but you you have to you know if or if clients aren't forthright Then, and I put that right in my retainer agreement. It's not this blunt, but it basically says, if you lie to me, I'm quitting, right? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not going to represent... You know, to the court something, and then the court's going to think am I dishonest? So that's just.
0: Do you I, have yeah. to go to the court to to withdraw? No, no. Nope, nope. sur- oh, you don't. No, no. Okay. It's not
2: like in criminal cases. You can I can withdraw anytime. Okay. I can't. I can't withdraw too close to, to a trial. Yes, yeah. right. You can't prejudice your client, so you have to be mindful of, or a hearing. Um, but but you can withdraw. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, Joe, it's been very interesting. I've learned a lot about family law. I really appreciate you coming in today and learning about it, and hopefully everybody gets a, a good good benefit from hearing about yeah. it and what to expect.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me. It was Thank very you for enjoyable. for coming.
0: Join us for our next episode where we'll explore another corner of the legal world. Thanks for listening.
1: This has been the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Tune in again as Barry interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. Barry Rosenzweig can be reached at 952-920-1001 in Minnesota and 480-227-2203 in Arizona. He can also be reached by email at barry at barrylaw.com or online at www.barrylaw.com.